Sonnet 130 by William Shakespeare was originally published in 1609. In this English love sonnet, Shakespeare mocks the typical way people describe their loves by realistically describing his. In this episode with special guest Mike Schubert, we will be discussing the format of a sonnet, dissecting the three quatrains and final couplet, as well as theorizing over who the woman was. We will also answer the question, is this a diss track? This is Analytical. Hello! Hello, hello! I'm Hannah. And I'm John. And we're your favorite literary nerds. And today we have a very special guest, another literary nerd! Hi Mike, how's it going? I'm, you know, as well as it can be, given we're recording this in February of 2021, doing, <laughs> doing our best. <laughs> yes, yeah. We're frozen in. It happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just yeah. going with it. Makes us more uh, productive, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Some yes. days. We did play in the snow. We we live next to a park. We had to go down sledding. Yeah. No, yeah. My wife and I, we we took our sleds up to Roosevelt Island in New York, which was basically abandoned in the heavy snow from a couple weeks back and carved our own sledding paths and had a good time. That's the way it goes. It's way better than staying home. <laughs> Indeed. So to start off today, we're going to talk about Sonnet 130, which is an interesting sonnet by Shakespeare, because he doesn't actually name it. He just calls it 130. He just numbered all his sonnets. Was that the case for all of them? Or did he always just straight number them? Did he give any of them titles? I am clearly not a Shakespeare nut by any means. Shakespeare never titled any of his sonnets originally, but historians title them usually with just the first line, or sometimes okay. a Shakespeare will gain infamy and will just get a nickname occasionally. But traditionally, mm-hmm. he didn't name any of them. He just kind of put a number on them. And actually, a big question in these sonnets is who are they for? We know next to nothing about Shakespeare, whereas other authors of the time or like in our time, we know a lot about. So we like get a general idea like, oh, this this is to his wife. Oh, this is to his brother, uncle. Shakespeare was just like, ah, now this dude just like to write a lot because we just have hundreds of these sonnets with no receiver. Okay, yeah, because while I was reading this, I was wondering, like, is he trying to be mean or, like, down to earth? Or is he making fun of someone else entirely? I was certainly confused. No, <laughs> that's definitely the point of it. <laughs> it is yeah. like making fun, but more making fun of like society as a whole. This is kind of Shakespeare being snarky with the way he writes. This is kind of a flex, really, because he's like, wow, I can write so good. I talk bad about a woman and it still sounds good. It's just, it really is like a, a big feat, but it's also making fun of conventional love standards because a lot of the lines are what you want to expect from someone to be called beautiful in the time. So like the f- opening line, for example, is my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Typically, they would be like the sun. They would be bright. They would be shining eyes. But these eyes are dull. They're dark. They're different. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. Do we know that he wrote it? I feel like I've seen rumblings of people like, actually, Shakespeare didn't write any of his stuff. He's a big thief. So uh, now I know. I don't know what to think. <laughs> it depends on who you're listening to. I know, like, the musical, oh, something's rotten. They, like, make fun of Shakespeare and said he never wrote any of his plays. Yeah, it just depends on which history you're choosing to agree with. It is kind of comes down to your opinion. Uh, <laughs> you just got to, like, trust Shakespeare or not. And I, I don't know. I would trust that he wrote it if I'm going to trust that he wrote anything. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to believe my headcanon is that he's like the Wu-Tang Clan where there's, like, <laughs> 11 people all contributing. <laughs> and they just all say it's by William Shakespeare. It would make sense why we don't know anything about him, too. Ah, he's he's actually a pseudonym for a whole collective of people. <laughs> That's a thing in uh, Greek writings, too. Homer wasn't actually a person. It was a lot of people. 
and they just all oh. wrote under Homer because he was famous. Well, I'm a little more forgivable oh. for that because that was kind of a lot of spoken works too. Yeah. So that was passed down through oral tradition, which is a lot harder to be like, yeah, I heard those from Homer somewhere. <laughs> it's a lot easier to pass it off as someone else's work when it's an oral tradition. <laughs> I will say another thing I've seen is that, like, if you actually love someone, you write one or two sonnets to them. But if you love writing sonnets, you write hundreds of them. So that is, like, say, another thing yeah. with Shakespeare, is that he just wrote a ton. Mm-hmm. So to get into a little bit of what a sonnet is, there's a couple of different types of sonnets that are written a lot. There's English and Italian, and this one is an English love sonnet. So yeah, the format differences there is pretty much the only difference between English and Italian. English sonnets are three quatrains in a couplet, which is three lines of four and then a line of two, whereas an Italian sonnet is one line of eight, or like one like stanza of eight lines, I should say, and then one stanza of six lines. They both have 14 lines total, which is why they're called sonnets. That's the only thing they share, is what I'm saying. In a English sonnet, typically each quatrain is about a different subject, and then the couplet stands on its own as well. And in the Italian sonnet, you have usually a lot of differences. Sometimes they go four and four, three and three. Usually it kind of is eight and six a lot of the time. That's the traditional way of doing it. But the form is messed with a lot of the time. And that's kind of a good thing about poems is form gets shaked up. Makes poems interesting to read. All right. Good to know. Yeah. And so with this one, the quatrains go A, B, A, B rhyme pattern. And then the last one is an A, A. So it's like the first and third will rhyme. And then the second and fourth. And then the last two just rhyme together. I appreciate it. I remember in English class in high school when we started doing poems, I was not enthused by most poetry, but I did enjoy sonnets, and especially the English ones. There's just something satisfying of wrapping it up with a couplet at the end. Something about that is just like the nice little bow, and I I always appreciated that. And they actually call them heroic couplets sometimes because it kind of like redeems the rest of the writing, especially with this one where he's kind of like dissing the girl, but he's like, but I love her. And so yeah. it kind of makes Th- it better. This last little couplet does so much work to make me really think more about what is the meaning behind the sonnet. Because for the first 12 lines, you're like, this guy's a dick. And yeah. then you get to the final couplet and you're like, oh, maybe this is this like weird workaround of him being like, maybe it's actually, you know, woke AF Shakespeare being like, I don't care about physical beauty. It's like about other stuff. So yeah, really heroic is an accurate term for it. I feel like those last two lines are doing a, a lot of heavy lifting towards making this appear better yeah i kind of say heroic with like quotations around it because sometimes it's not always you know very heroic (laughs) this one is good job shakespeare (laughs) yeah i don't think we need to talk about any of history of shakespeare in this episode sometimes we talk about the history of the authors but shakespeare is shakespeare it's important to no doubt that he wrote a ton of sonnets like we've said before and that's really what he's known for but it's not because he also wrote a ton of plays Mm -hmm. and I like his sonnets a lot. I'm not so about his plays. I don't really like Shakespeare as a playwright. (laughs) But he wrote them, and he's known for them. Yeah, we've dissed Shakespeare a few times on this podcast. Nice, nice, nice. As he deserves. (laughs) So I think to start off, I'm going to read the first quatrain, and then we're going to kind of discuss that and dissect it a little bit deeper. And sometimes I have to look up words. I don't know what (laughs) some of them mean. (laughs) So my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips is red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. So to start off, obviously Shakespeare does not sound very nice at all. Like he says, her <laughs> eyes are like gloomy. Her lips aren't very pretty. Her skin is like darker. And that's also another thing. He could be talking about a person of color in this because it says curly black hair and then her skin is darker. And so people kind of theorize that it also was talking about a black woman as well. 
Well, and mm. what, he, what he's trying to do is really raise awareness about unconventional beauty standards, which would be people of color in this time, because most white people want to have found people of color pretty. So if Shakespeare writes mm. this poem and everyone's pretty, it kind of goes a long way for like equality, I guess. Yeah, I like it. I like it if it's meant to be in that way. I did find the fourth line particularly interesting because like the first three are very clearly like more whether it's you know subverting your traditional beauty standards or it's just him like dissing this person the fact that the fourth one it doesn't really feel like a diss it's just like if hairs are wires then she has black wires it's like <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like it accomplishes much it just if hairs were yarn she had black yarn like, <laughs> i think the only thing we learned from that line is that she does have black hair <laughs> and maybe the point is that he's supposed to say it's wiry, but I just think it's funny that it starts with like, if hairs be wires, then she's got wires. We're like, okay, yes, we've confirmed she is not bald. Thank you, <laughs> I think a lot of it is just trying to get that rhyme scheme to work too, because if mm. Coral is far more red than her lips is red, like you could have mm. just said her lips aren't red, but obviously yeah. you have to make it a little bit more intense. Well, this might also be just the English of the time too, a little bit playing into it. But I agree, like the rhyme scheme was definitely the goal through this poem. Like it has to be kind of the goal. So Shakespeare was like, "Yarn doesn't fit wires, will." Like he just <laughs> writing it. <laughs> got to hit those syllables. Yeah, got to find longer ways. Got his thesaurus over. I, I guess we haven't even talked about iambic pentameter. I don't think this is an iambic pentameter. That's just his play. My mistress' eyes are nothing like this. It's iambic. Oh, okay. I guess it is iambic pentameter. So Shakespeare wrote a lot of things where you miss the first syllable, hit it hard on the second. Unstressed and stressed mm -hmm, syllables. Right. They are pairs mm -hmm. of, or feet, which is where the pentameter comes is, from. I don't know. Yeah, one of the roots is a feet. <laughs> one of the root means feet, but they are pairs of unstressed and stressed syllables. So my is the unstressed of the first line where it goes miss. My mistress eyes are not, and you do this mm -hmm. little like up and down motion with syllables, and it makes the words roll much more smoothly off the tongue. I think it's more for his plays, though, than this. But I don't know. It's I'm not going to try to read it. I, I know it's well. definitely a thing for his plays. I also feel like it's just him putting... It's like when you play a video game on the hardest setting. Like, I think he's just deciding, like, ah, I'm already good enough at poems. Let's do this thing where I, like, have to be in this strict syllabic structure. And now I'm, I can still do it. Look at me. I beat the game on, you know, crushing difficulty. <laughs> That definitely it, does yeah. seem like Shakespeare, especially <laughs> his like monologues and stuff. Like he wrote pages and pages of iambic yeah. pentameter, and it, I think it was a flex. Shakespeare is like, I'm the best of the best. I think yeah, a lot of his I mean, work can be taken as flex, and that's why I think it's still taught so much today. Is like it's not particularly groundbreaking itself. The material isn't, but the way it's written is just so beautiful. Like the guy never missed an iambic pentameter ever. It's just like wow. Like if he can do that, like he should be God. <laughs> <laughs> And whenever I think about, like, iambic pentameter, I always think of how he'll say, like, deserted. It, you really put the ed. Deserted. Yeah, there's a lot of ones like that where you emphasize ed ending. Right. And it also plays a role in rhyme scheme when you have to emphasize an ending, too. That makes deserted rhyme with red. <laughs> yeah. Different things. Yeah, instead of deserted, it's ted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, I think we can move on to the second one. I will take the second one, I guess. <laughs> I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. So for reeks this is strong. <laughs> a strong <laughs> word choice. I think they are following a little pattern of the last one is just a little different, because in the first one, the last one isn't as harsh, but in this one, I think the fourth line of the quatrain is much more harsh than the other ones, because that reeks. It really just, like, that's a very strong word. Mm -hmm. Very evocative of a smell. I also had to 
look up the word demasked. Yeah, decorate I'm with. I have no idea what that means. So it oh, means decorate oh, with decorate. or as if with a variegated pattern. How to look up variegated. It means <laughs> when it's like different colors. So they talk about like leaves are variegated when they're like oh, yellowish and green. And so cool. her cheeks just don't look red and white. They're just plain. I was going to say, he's he's reining it in just a little bit where he's saying, like, there are some things that smell better than my mistress's breath. Once he gets to reeks, though, you kind of lose that sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, at first, he's like, yeah, there's other things that smell nice. But then he says reeks, and you're like, oh, it probably smells bad. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a very nice person in general with this one. I guess that might be more commentary in the perfumes of the day, too. Right. This also makes me wonder something that just every now and then in my daily life, I'll just wonder, like, how did people survive before X? Like, what do people do before toothpaste? <laughs> like, did you just have to, like, find mint and just chew it? Like, what would like just, mint did leaves everyone? Just... <laughs> yeah, like, did everyone just have stank breath? I just, I don't understand, like, these things that we take for granted. What did people do before deodorant? Like, you just rub flowers under your arms? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I think they just tried not to get dirty, really, all about the preventative measures that you could take. But they wore, like, <laughs> layers and layers. Like, have you watched Bridgerton? Oh, yeah. They wore, like, layers and layers and layers of clothing. Like that. Then had you to sweat more. Uh, you smell worse because you've got more sweat. Yes. <laughs> it's a cycle of... <laughs> They're like, let's sweat more so they don't notice. I guess, man. Yeah, so... Jeez, I do not envy people having to smell breath back then. It's just a constant death trap. Just smell anything. Like, just hope you go nose blind early. That might oh. be it, too, because I bet everyone stings that bad. You just get desensitized. <laughs> yeah, you're desensitized. I feel like I've seen things where people are like, oh, if you go in time travel, you actually would hate it because it would be awful. Like, it would smell awful. Yeah. Like, you'd be like, this is disgusting. I just see all the ones where it's taking, like, a chip back to, like, the Middle Ages and seeing a peasant freak out because he had flavor for once in his life. Because <laughs> they didn't have spices. They didn't have salt. They had, like, bread. That was what they ate. Bread and, like, raw meats that had been mm -hmm. cured by salt. Yeah, that'd be rough. I guess they had salt. That'd be so <laughs> I mean, is there anything else to add for that quatrain? <laughs> just the reeks is rough. <laughs> um, I guess we haven't really separated out the quatrains. Um, the first quatrain is a little bit more about the physical things. So you get her lips, you get her breasts, you get her hair. And the second one is a little bit like we're kind of moving up. We get the cheeks specifically. We get the smells, some more of the, like, senses. Yeah, and then we move on to the third one and get even more. So, Mike, if you want to read it. Sure. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. Again, this one's not, like, super mean, because to compare someone just, like, plainly speaking to music, for the most part, unless you're listening to, you know, this podcast, uh, <laughs> you know, music is going to be, be, be better. It's going to be more pleasing, you would think, naturally, than someone just speaking. But, yeah, may maybe Shakespeare is just, you know, way ahead of his time. Whereas, you know, as of like last year, I barely listen to music anymore and podcasts have taken over my playlists. No, for sure. I think he might also be saying like, because I feel like in a lot of sonnets you saw melodic voices. Like they always say something about how it sounds like a mm -hmm. melody and they're very like beautiful voices. And he's like, no, it's kind of plain. Like it's not that great mm -hmm. of a voice. But I think I it's important that he, he still says, loves I love it. to hear her speak. Yeah. Yeah. He said it's the first time he's actually like said something very... <laughs> plainly straight up nice as opposed to like maybe he's being nice <laughs> i love to hear her speak it's like oh look a compliment oh cool yeah he's like i love to hear her speak and maybe it's just the words she says maybe he's like it's not a great sound but what she says is good like those are smart words mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, this is like the first hint of maybe him getting to the the interpretation of this sonnet that it's about him not caring about physical beauty. Even just with the sound of the voice, just like you said, it could be just that he likes either the manner in which she speaks or like what she happens to say, or maybe it's like bigger picture, her ideas or what she believes in or whatever. So it's, it's nice that we're now getting to like a new chapter of, of the sonnet where the, the first door opening of him actually using the beginning things, which seem just rude as maybe a, a workaround of a way to say, Oh, like here's, here's what I do like. And here's how I'm actually saying physical beauty doesn't matter as much as these other things I prefer. Yes. And especially like it gets into the other senses as much. So maybe like, Seeing her is not great, but, like, hearing her is good, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something to redeem her, at least, I guess. Yeah, but then he kind of goes down again, because he says, you know, he's like, yeah, I've never seen a goddess walk, but she just treads. Like, she doesn't float along. She doesn't, like, walk real pretty. It's just kind of, like, treads on the ground. I, I was never a point like, oh man, look at how she walks. Like, <laughs> even in my even in my most superficial of high school dating scenes where you're just mainly going on looks and hopefully the person's nice enough, I don't think I was ever like, oh yeah, her footsteps are so gentle. <laughs> I feel like if anyone ever did say like, oh, look at how she walks, I'd be like tripping over something. Like I don't walk. Right, yeah, once it's brought up, it's, it's terrible. Well. Yeah, like if anyone's ever like, oh, wow, you walk cool, like immediately you're going to trip over something because <laughs> now you're thinking about it. So now you have to like something you've never thought about. It's just like when someone like mentions blinking and now you have to actively think about blinking, which now I've done to <laughs> and now we all listening blink, to the show. So. Now we're, yeah, you're like blinking, you're, uh, you're you're now feel your tongue in now. your mouth, you're now, you have to breathe manually now. Everyone's you got gonna all swallow. the swallow. Yeah, everyone's blinking, swallowing, like all the stuff. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> listening right now hates us. <laughs> They're like, I didn't want to think about my tongue. <laughs> yeah, and now we just have to say the word moist for <laughs> to truly ruin and analytical podcast. just got canceled <laughs> so i do like that he says like she he's never seen a goddess but then she says she treads on the ground and it kind of shows the comparison of like the heavens to like they're on earth and so like on earth mm -hmm. she may not be the prettiest but she still is his and, and that kind of could be talking about people like a lot of the love songs because he is talking out about love songs at the time or like putting women on pedestal so this could be shakespeare saying hey they are people too they are not goddesses and he's kind of saying like i've never seen a goddess they're all just people so we should treat them as people and as such yeah i like that call out for specifically with the goddess because yeah if you're having sonnets where people are comparing them to things they've never seen like it's clearly a lie when people say like oh your your face is that of a goddess but like, you don't know <laughs> what are you basing this off of and especially like i like the ones where they compare it to aphrodite because in Greek mythology, if you compared someone to Aphrodite, like Aphrodite would go kill them. So it's like, cool, you just sentenced her to death. Like, Sick move, Brad. <laughs> so maybe, yeah, Shakespeare here is just like trying to save her from that fate. He's like, nope, she, I've never seen a goddess and she's on the ground. So we're good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And then going into the cufflet, we'll finish this out. And yet by heaven, I think my love is rare as any she beliled with false compare. Did what, you look up Belide? No, I didn't look up Belide. I should. <laughs> I was going to say, what What does that mean? It's one of those words where I'm just like, yeah. Demask right. got me because I was like, oh, demask. Yeah, like took off her mask. I was like, no, that's an A. <laughs> yeah. Um, belie means of an appearance. Fail to give a true notion or impression of something. A disguise or contradict. Mm. I have no clue what that line means. <laughs> yeah. Is any sheep alive? Hard to talk to through this a little bit more. And yet by heaven. So maybe like that she's not lying about her looks, like she's not actually covering them up, like she's not faking her actual looks. Like she is as true as you can get. 
Okay, so w- I've I've also Googled what balai means, and it says to fail to fulfill an expectation. So what it could be is, I think my love is rare, like as any that she failed to meet expectations of a false comparison. So I think what he's trying to say is like, when, like we said with the goddess and these other things where no one's eyes actually look like the sun. So I think what he's saying is like, I still love her, even though her beauty doesn't match these comparisons, which nobody can actually meet anyway. So what's the point kind of thing. And he's saying like his love as rare. So maybe saying like as strong, regardless of me not thinking that she's got these ridiculous comparisons, I still love her and I have a strong love for her. So I think it's a really powerful way to end the the sonnet. No, it's a really great way to end it. I mean, he does wrap it all up. He says, it doesn't matter how she looks. I still love her. And even in the heavens, my love is rare. It's a true love we have, and it's good how it is. Yeah, and I also think that last the the, the final words with with false compare really points to the him if he's using this to make fun of other people writing sonnets, where he's like, "You jerks are writing these things that are so ridiculous and lofty and and unrealistic. What are we doing here, folks?" So yeah, I think I think that's very keen into uh, taking a dig at some other writers. I kind of want to point out the uh, the wordage right there at the very beginning of this couplet is and yet. That's a very traditional volta, mm-hmm. which you find in a lot of poems. And that's kind of, that means that's a French word for turn. I think it's French. I was say, yeah, it what's volta French. mean? <laughs> it's a, it means turn, and it's where the poem like takes a turn for something else. So in these other poems, he's kind of like dissing on this woman. And then this is where he goes, and yet. So this is the redeeming sentence. The volta is the word, but the volta where it just kind of like switches on you. And there's also another traditional volta word up there after the first five lines. Yeah, the but. But no such roses see I in her cheek. So that's kind of a mini volta in those two lines that they're discussing right there. Because it says, I have seen roses damasked red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. So you can kind of pick out voltas, but like I think that's just the volta for that couplet specifically. And that's the volta for the poem is the and yet that's where the poem kind of switches meaning yeah it definitely makes me hope that this is him more so making fun of other people than trying to profess his love for his mistress because it's not great when the first 12 lines are like you're ugly and then be like but it's okay because i love you anyway yeah what happens when she throws the poem away after 10 lines she's like oh okay yeah, starts yeah, crying she <laughs> yeah it's like the prolific sonic version of trying like when you try to say something cool but like it fails miserably like oh i usually only date attractive people or yeah. something like that just like blows up in your face like the anti-compliments <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 like oh i usually don't find like whatever you know attractive like the worst the worst kind of thing so i i would hope for shakespeare's sake that he's using this more as a commentary because if he is using this as a way to try to like show that he actually loves this mistress i do not think it's going to work sure sure the last two lines are nice but you did spend 12 lines just ragging on me so i don't know how i feel right now and I think a good indicator that this is a commentary on poems of the time was what Hannah was saying mm-hmm. earlier. When you write a sonnet to someone, you, that shows you love them. But when you write a hundred sonnets or so, that shows you love sonnets. And with yeah, and sonnet one thirty, you're kind of like, okay, Shakespeare, take it easy, bro. Like it's okay to slow down. You can have a life. And for my one hundred thirtieth sonnet, I will make fun of sonnets as a practice. <laughs> yeah, it's like whenever you just write a parody of something, you're just you might love the thing you're parodying, but you're still making fun of it. Exactly. For sure. I said at the end, like overall, Shakespeare wrote this not to make fun of the girl, but as a parody of traditional love sonnets where there are definitely a sonnet we could read where they'd be like, my mistress's eyes are the sun. I'm sure there's like five of Shakespeare's own we could read that are about that. Like, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it would be fun if someone just like wrote a response like, my, my mistress's eyes are exactly like the sun. <laughs> and it's just the complete 180 of this. I feel like there's definitely an English class that has done that before. I feel like I've oh, yeah. done something like that before. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one like that exactly, but I have seen another poem that was making fun of this sonnet. Well, not making fun of it, but it was parodying this sonnet and was talking about commercialization. Um, so it was pretty interesting. Ooh. I don't remember the title or the author, so I am sorry. <laughs> I will look for it and put it in the comments or the description. Mm -hmm. I also w would love to do the reverse where you take the classic sonnets that are that are very pro the person they're about and then just make them the meanest possible. I think that would also be a fun exercise. Yeah, we've done stuff like that before where we kind of like write responses to it. I I've seen one mm -hmm. where it was actually like the woman responding. Again, I'd have to look that up. I don't remember <laughs> it. It's been a year or two since my last English class, but it was a lot of fun to see like what she said about Shakespeare. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, we talked a little bit about who the woman was that he was writing to. I think it is an interesting read to read it as a woman of color, specifically with her skin not being like white and her hair being dark and curly. It's just interesting to see it as someone who's not the typical beauty standard. Well, and I think the most telling line or the most outright line that kind of tells us this is the why then her breasts are done. Because done is like coal color. It is dull grayish mm. brown. So that kind of is explicitly stating her breasts are darker colored, like maybe in skin tone even. I don't know what else that would be referring to. Like, yeah, I would hope it's just her skin tone, not like some disease or something. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think that would be nice as well because then it would just add another layer of commentary because not only are you talking about sonnets or the way people write them, but also, like we had mentioned earlier, subverting just like the standard beauty standards that were around in Shakespeare's time. It'd be nice if that was another layer of commentary and critique that he's trying to go after with this sonnet. Especially in 1609, I'm pretty sure like the UK still had slavery at the time, and so... This would have been showing love towards someone who would not have been on the same class level, which would have been like a whole nother layer of social commentary. Yeah, I feel like if he was going for that, he probably could have done a little bit of a better job of trying to say that like the the things are nice because it does still. Yeah, the hair one isn't necessarily anything bad. It's just kind of there. Um, and same with the snow one, honestly, too, because it's not saying like snow is perfect. It's just saying like snow is white. Her breasts are not. Yeah. So. I, I think if he maybe if he was trying to do explicitly that he could do a whole like in the same vein could do something where it's like you know yeah you you'll compare someone's skin to snow but like I'll compare it to like I don't know gr granite yeah <laughs> like, like something nicer that, than done right yeah yeah some, something nice than him just being like her physical features don't look like these things like that if that's the closest we're getting to a compliment i don't know if it's a compliment of just like stating fact her hair is different well is it is it good shakespeare i would like you if you're, i would like you to say it's oh, nice that, that's another one though like oh you're you're just different those are like that's something different yeah. like that is not an actual compliment to call something right. different <laughs> I mean, it's not yeah, an insult directly because, like, oh, that's very unique. Oh, like, unique it's kind of like, so bad. <laughs> but you're trying not to be mean. It's kind of it's coming from a nice heart. It's it's coming from the right place. Right. The thing is, this, that is like predicated on giving him the benefit of the doubt here, because uh, you could also get into the territory of like when you set someone up on a blind date, you know, and you ask like, oh, how is he? It's like he's different like, that's not gonna give you i would say no i would not go i'd be it. like that sounds like a creep <laughs> exactly like if, if the if the highest compliment you can give to someone is that they are different it's like uh-oh even though i live in a world where like someone being unique is very appealing to me when you're advertising that if like they're if that's top, the first like, thing you say yeah like right yeah <laughs> not a great it's not a great sell off the top because 
it will sound as if you're trying to mask up something else, but I don't think that's necessarily what he's going for here. But I'm just saying, like, I would also, if he's going to be good at critiquing the way sonnets are written, I think it would be fun to see a sonnet that is explicitly just about subverting standard, you know, what, what was traditional beauty back then. For sure. I think there's another line, too, that kind of points to her being of lower class with, like, maybe the breath reeking. I mean, like we said before, we're not sure how great hygiene <laughs> standards were, but I feel like maybe, like, lower class citizens didn't have as much access to that, and so that can show For just sure. another level, that social commentary. Yeah, and then even less direct, you could do the thing with the goddess where she's not, like, put on this high pedestal like a person of royalty. So even if we're not going literal, like, human versus angel could be someone that is not in a lofty position versus someone that's more of just, like, a common person. Do you have anything to add? I don't. These are all very good interpretations. <laughs> I hadn't th considered them. I really like them. Yeah. This is fun. I mean, I'll say John is the one who told me first that, like, it was about a person of color. So I cannot that's, take credit yeah, a, for that. Theory. It's good. It's a good. So. Well, that's not my theory. It's just kind of an agreed upon things that many like English historians, analysis analysisers, people that <laughs> have studied these works, kind of have agreed upon. They've kind of noticed these things and have been like, "Wow, like Shakespeare might have been writing about a person of color." And it kind of makes sense for Shakespeare as well. Like he's not known for being some huge feminist writer or like a really good minority champion or anything. But he uh, he has a play, Ophelia. Is that the title? Othello. Othello, where mm -hmm. he, the main character, Othello, is a person of color. He was a minority. So it, it kind mm -hmm. of, like, makes sense for Shakespeare a little bit. He's not known for it, like, he, and he wasn't a champion, and I'm sure he had some very bad views. I mean, you can see in another one of his poems, um, Temptest, he kind of portrays people of color in a bad light as well. But mm -hmm. it's a give and take, you know? I would just like to say it's Othello. Othello. And I Ophelia was close. Is... I knew that, that there was an Ophelia, at least. <laughs> Yeah, she's in Hamlet. Yeah, you're not completely wrong. You're in the same area. <laughs> I mean, any Shakespeare play, especially when he wrote all the ones about the kings, he got to, like, Henry VIII. He did all the Henrys and all the Richards. It's like, please stop. <laughs> Just stop. Poems to, I mean, how many plays do we need about a king named Richard, honestly? One. That's it. None. <laughs> Take it back. Yeah, probably zero, honestly. Jeez. You don't need dick plays. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so I think we're going to answer the question. Is this a diss track? And I think it's a diss track against society or against sonnets. Like he's dissing sonnets, yeah, not the girl. Right. Yes, that's what I would say. He's he's dissing his contemporary poets who write these ridiculously flowery sonnets that he finds to be excessive and ridiculous. I think he's dissing himself a little bit too, because like John said, he has written flowery and beautiful sonnets. So. Right. Well, yeah. and in that, I guess sure. I don't know the correct like order of people writing things, but Shakespeare was very famous. He might have written those first, and then a lot of people were like, "Oh, I want to copy that." And then all he had all these copycats, and he's like, "Wow, guys, really? Like, I did it first. I did it way better too. So here you go. Here's like in your face." Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I like that interpretation as well. And I, I would agree that it is a diss track of towards society. Yes, and I think that he does offer some nice little nuggets of information about subverting beauty standards also. So it, it kind of does two purposes. Like, it does diss society and other poets that are writing other flowery sonnets, and it also says, like, hey guys, love is many things, but it's also your own. And you can love someone that's not pretty to other people, and you can love someone that's only pretty to you. And that's fine, and that's great, as long as you love them for your own reasons. Mm -hmm. This makes me really want, if it is a diss track towards other poets, this makes me want there to be like a poet rap battle. I don't know if that ever took place where like people explicitly just wrote poems dunking on someone else. In John's book, the next poem is by Tupac. 
Like in his actual book of poems, the next one is by Tupac. So I would say hip hop artists writing like songs dissing each other are modern day poets. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like it. I think it's hilarious that Tupac's in your book. I love it so much. <laughs> I also have a Springsteen in here. Wow. Mm. Well, unless you guys have anything else to add, I think that wraps up Sonnet 130. Nice. So, Mike, if you'd like to plug your new project. Yes. So when will this episode be coming out? April 1st. April 1st. April, April Fool's, Fool's Day. Episode. We'll hear something that's not an April Fool's joke. So when you're listening to this podcast, I will have a Kickstarter live for a podcast project that I've been working on for a while. It is a podcast that will be called Modern Muckraker. It's the first podcast that I've made that involves a ton of pre-production and scripting and all of that. So the podcast will be me in character as like a Colbert Report style person doing incredibly deep, intense, deep dives into pop culture questions. But firm, my character firmly believes that this is the most important journalism possible. Pulitzer, <laughs> Peabody worthy stuff. But it will be questions such as when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of web swinging? Like when would it be faster and, and more time effective for him to do it? From the production side, I want to get sound designers and writers and, and a lot of more pre-prep work than my normal podcasts that I've done before, which is just me kind of like consuming media and then providing commentary on it. But uh, for the show itself, I also want to interview a bunch of experts, people that are way overqualified to answer these questions, like someone who's a higher up at like the MTA of the New York City subway and talk to them about train scheduling and stuff like that. So I'm very excited about it. But in order to make it happen, we, we do need funding in advance because I want to bring in a whole team and pay them a fair wage. Everyone's done some project where they either got underpaid or not paid at all. And, and I don't want to stand for that. So if you want to support that show or just to learn more about it, you can go to modernmuck.com or bit.ly slash modernmuckraker. And that'll take you to the website page or the Kickstarter page with more information about that project. But yeah, the, the Kickstarter will be going from March 30th, 2021 and April 30th. Hopefully uh, we get the funding needed to make the project a reality. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And we'll have those links down below and probably other links to your other podcast and social pages. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff I, I'll, I'll be doing, but uh, for, for one month of my life, none of that matters. <laughs> the time-sensitive <laughs> Kickstarter thing does. So check out that, please, if, you, if you've enjoyed what I've brought to the table here. I promise I, bring, I will be bringing this, the same types of humor to this, this podcast that I hope gets funded and we can make happen. Yeah, it sounds really fun. Thank you. Well, I'm very thanks biased, so much for joining us well. today. It's been so much fun. Thanks for talking having me. about this Shakespeare. Was, this was great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I honestly English was never my strongest subject in in high school, but now I feel I feel better about it now. I feel like I'm vindicating my uh, <laughs> my reading comprehension being the lowest score in my SATs. So it's nice that uh, <laughs> your like your high school English that. teacher will listen back and be like, "Wow, that was a good point." Well, I, you know, I hope Mr. Fritch is listening out there somewhere. He was a very good teacher. It, it, no fault of him. Uh, it was just never my strongest uh, skill set. But it's uh, this was fun. This was enjoyable. I, I really enjoyed really reading between the lines of this and YouTube brought up stuff I, I didn't think of when I first read it. So this was a, a real fun experience. Yes. Thanks so much. I'm glad you had yeah, fun. Thank you. Join us next week as we discuss Emily Dickinson's Because I Could Not Stop for Death, another amazing poem as we celebrate National Poetry Month. Hey. 
Analytical is created, hosted, and produced by Hannah and John Newland. It is edited by John Newland. The artwork was created by Hannah Newland using Logo Maker and is owned by Hannah and John Newland. The theme music you're jamming to now is created by John Bartman, and you can check out more of his work at his website, johnbartman.com. Web design is by Hannah Newland, and you can find us at analyticalpod.wixsite.com slash analytical. And you can find that link in the description. All our social pages are at analyticalpod, and you can email us at analyticalpod at gmail.com to reach out and discuss your thoughts on this episode, to chat about literature, or life. Please rate and review us, and subscribe to our podcast, and tell your friends. It will help other people find and enjoy as well. <laughs>